This is a uh, week, this is a weekend where we, uh, not just us, but our country um, acknowledges those who have served in the armed forces, and we want to keep that very good tradition, so we want to honor the men and women who have served, and so if you happen to be one of those uh, who have served in, in, in this uh, auditorium, if you would stand, and maybe those on the chat, go ahead and stand in your living rooms, I should say, in your homes, if you want to. And uh, even let us know on the chat if you are a member of uh, the military or served in the military at all. Please stand so we can um, acknowledge you. And uh, there we go. Slow but sure. Thank you. A couple over here. Thank you all. A very, um, maybe apropos weekend uh, as we just finish a presidential election, or I think finish a presidential election. Um, but let me say this, uh, of course it's a big deal in our country always, and especially perhaps this challenging year. We, we continue to live in a extended season of challenge as a nation, certainly as a world too, but as a nation. And even with the you know, whether your candidate, the one you voted for or I voted for, won this election or not, um, the challenges remain um, great in our country. So let me just say a word about that for all of us. The, the church of Jesus Christ and the message that the church has been given uh, to, um, to steward, the gospel message, is the true hope of the world, okay? It's the true hope of the world. A world that remains today, including our world, even our town, our, our lives, um, troubled and in many ways hope starved, okay? Troubled and hope starved. But let me say this, uh, a troubled and hope starved, starved world is in a manner of speaking a boom uh, economy for the church of Jesus Christ, or it should be. That is to say, the whole purpose, not only of God starting the church, sending his son, but in planting these things that have been going on for thousands of years called the local church, this is God's plan, is that we would be, you know, uh, lighthouses, beacons, whatever you want to call them, places of hope, not because we're perfect people, but because of the gospel message, we can bring hope Two, light and salt to a troubled world. That's what we're called to do. Of all the things that 2020, it's not over yet, but of all the things that 2020 was not for uh, people in this um, world and in our lives, we all probably are ready to just rip that out of the, 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 our, our calendar books and manner of speaking. But of all the things that 2020 was not for many of us, one thing it certainly is or should be is a call to action for the church of Jesus Christ. This is why God has planted us in the world. If the world had no needs or any troubles, we'd have no purpose for existing. But of course it does. So let's think of it in those terms um, as we go forward today. Let me pray for us as we uh, take our offering and just uh, take a moment in the service. Join me. God and Father, I just thank you for 
the opportunity to be here this morning, and Lord, we acknowledge uh, once again your, um, your power over all the world, your sovereignty, not only over the world uh, in, at large, but over you know, our, our community, even over this community, and even over our lives, each one of us, Lord. Um, you are the authority. You are the um, reality that over uh, sees our lives. You are our, our Lord. And we want to acknowledge that today, Lord, that you are greater uh, than all the things that trouble us in this world and you have called us forward. And I just pray for us as a church. Help us, Lord, to do your will. Help us to be serious about serving your purposes. And help us, Lord, not to join the voices, the collective voice of our culture, that may be, you know, a voice of division or of criticism or really of fear, but help us to be an answer to the voice and voices of our culture about the true um, hope that is in the gospel. Help us to be a church. Help us to be people living in these communities who by our hearts and lives, by the way we live, and the way we serve, and the way we work. Help us to show this world a better way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We are this morning in the final message, at least in this series, that video um, 
outline called Rise and Fall in the book of Genesis. That's where we've been for the last uh, seven or eight weeks. And this morning, we're going to end this first series. We'll pick it back up in January. Um, really, it's the natural break, you know, that I think was designed by the authors of this book, God himself perhaps as well, you know, that to end on this story, Genesis 11, in a very, very familiar story. So that's why I don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it. We'll read it. Uh, the, the, the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. And in a sense, this is, I would say, of the grand story of Genesis, which we'll look at over the course of a year or so, is, is the, um, it's the end of the beginning. Right, the, 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 the opening, you might say the whole book of Genesis is a book of origins, but especially the first 11 chapters is sort of laying the groundwork, right? It's sort of, let's, let's take a look at the, 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 the playing field on which God is going to do what he's going to do in the world that is in relationship with you and me, with, hum, with humanity. It's the end of the beginning, and in, in the next chapter, which we won't look at until we get to, to January, it's going, the next chapter, the next series, Abraham, is going to be a whole new way forward and that new way forward the book of um, Genesis or Genesis chapter 12 you know it's called faith Abraham's the father of faith and in a sense that really takes all the way to the to the end of the scriptures and into our very own day in other words there's there's a new way that's going to start it's going to be introduced in Genesis chapter 12 but here okay what you have, and the reason I'm taking some moments here, and I think the, this passage is here, what you have here is the rival to that new way, okay? You have the rival, and in Genesis chapter 11, this story of, let's say, the, the, the Tower of Babel, the city of man, it is a, it is, there's, only, there's, also, there's a point being made, but it is also a warning, Okay, a warning, yes, for the original folks who read this book, the, the, the Jewish folks that read, uh, received the book of Genesis, but also for all people of faith. And here's the point. You know, I, I've, I've titled this, you know, the city of man. That is the um, Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, the city of Babylon. There's a point being made here. And in the, in, in in, in the warning is this, that the city of man, what do I mean by that? I mean life organized um, in independence of God. We'll see that in a minute. People who say, they've been saying it for a long time, but the human race has a collective moment to say, listen, God, thanks for your advice. Thanks for your challenge. Thanks for what you say. Thus saith the Lord, I'm gonna do life on my own way. I'm gonna run it my own way. I'm gonna go my own way, okay? The city of man with its values, it's, it's, it's a system, a series of systems, a, a series of decisions to live life on your own. That system, which is being warned and criticized here in Genesis chapter 11, that system coexists alongside what we call the city of God or the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. And those two cities, if I can use that metaphor, the Bible uses it, they exist side by side. When Jesus Christ showed up 2,000 years ago, he didn't put an end to the city of man. Oh, that he did. See, the city of man exists. It doesn't end at the doorsteps of the church. Oh, I wish it had. It doesn't end at the doorsteps of your homes or my homes. Oh, I wish that it had. It is two cities, two value systems, you might say, that exist side by side, and you need to decide, I need to decide every single day, including this one, which city you want to live in, okay? That's the point, or part of the point, of Genesis chapter 11. So if you have a copy of the Bible, let's read this story quickly. Genesis 11, 
short uh, verses, one through nine, in a message titled, The City of Man. The City of Man. Verse one. Now the whole world, okay, we're still in the early chapters, had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So, <clears throat> so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth. Now, the city of man. This city, historically and geographically, is Babylon. And how do I know that? Verse 1, it says, they found a plain in Shinar. Verse 2, I should say. But if you look in your bottom of your notes, if you have one, Shinar and Babylon is two names for the same place. So they're in Babylon. But let me say this. This is, in one sense, it's a real city. Okay? And it was in this day. In fact, it still exists. I was actually there about 15 years ago. It's in northern um, or central Iraq. But today, the city of Babylon is, is kind of a small little ghost town. So it still exists. But in one sense, it is a still city. But in another sense, those of us who, uh, if you know your Bible well, I'm talking about the whole Bible, it also is a symbol throughout the Bible. Many, many times, the, the, the city of Babylon. It's used all the way into the book of Revelation. It's a symbol, like we have a lot of symbols in our society, if we think about it. Some things that, that, that immediately capture for us um, a lot of truth and understanding. Just one word, right? We use a word. And, and, and it's a symbol for a world system. A world system with its pretensions. What do I mean by pretensions? It's sort of pretend importance. A world system with its hollow promises. Okay, you know, advertised day in and day out. And it's moral bankruptcy. That's how I would describe it. It's talking about a world system that has been going on as long as time, coexistent with the city of God or the kingdom of God, that's full of pretensions, a sort of self-trumped uh, uh, up importance. It has its own sense of hollow promises, you know, uh, that do this and you'll be great, or do this and you'll, your problems will be solved, or, or here's the value system that you need to buy into, and a sense of moral bankruptcy. It's been going on for a long time. And there are many, many examples if I had time, uh, we, I could talk throughout the Old Testament where both literally and symbolically the, the, the city of Babylon is talked about. Let me just give you one. At the end of time, the whole end of the story, we're here at Genesis, let's go all the way to the book of Revelation. When everything gets said and done, many of you know the book of Revelation is this cataclysmic judgment finally on the wickedness of the world. It's a, it's a cataclysmic judgment. Jesus talked about it. It's, the, it's the, the end of the end and then there's a new beginning, Revelation 21 and 22. But the, what's judged at the end of the book of Revelation is a, a world system. Now that world system, Revelation 17, 18, remember this is apocalyptic literature, it's visionary. It's the, the system is a woman who's riding a beast, Revelation 17. Now I don't really think 
it's actually a woman riding a beast. This is like a localized problem. You could take care of that. It's an image in, a, in this kind of literature. And this woman riding a beast represents the city of man, the world system that has been in, 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 in conflict with the kingdom of God from the get-go. And what it says in Revelation 17, it says all these uh, descriptions, it says, on her forehead, this is what it says. Babylon the great has fallen, the mother of all the abominations of the earth, okay? Now in Revelation 17, for sure it's not talking about the ancient city of Babylon. It's talking about a world system that has organized, I'm gonna call it the city of man, against the purposes of God. And let me say this, why are we talking about it? That is alive and well in the 21st century, okay? It's alive and well in the 21st century. What you have here is a battle for the mind and the heart. And you and I need to decide every day which city we want to live in. So, the city of man. Number one, I think this passage, what can we learn from it? What does it tell us about this city, this value system that is alive and well in the world? Number one, it runs on fear and anxiety. I would say, and I think this passage will bear it out, the operating system, if I can use that metaphor, right? The operating system for the city of man is fear and anxiety. What is the motivation given in this short passage? It's written very carefully. The motivation for this city and this tower, verse four, is not so we can build this city for the benefit of mankind. We wanna do something that will benefit mankind right? We want to do something that will demonstrate human ingenuity and skill. Both of those are good values. But they are not building this city or building this tower for the benefit of mankind. They are not building this city, building this tower to, to showcase human ingenuity. They are building it, verse 4, to mitigate the fear and anxiety that they have to want to do what God told them to do. God said, we talked about this a few weeks ago, what was the purpose of mankind? I'm making you in my image. He breathed into them the breath of life. What does it mean to be made in God's image? It doesn't mean you have two eyes, a nose, and, a, and two ears. What it means is with God's authority, you go out and represent God into the world. What he said in Genesis 1.20 is, listen, now that I've created you in my image, right? I've created the world as a bunch of natural resources, you know, as one pastor says, God, uh, you know, created trees. Uh, he didn't make furniture. That's your job. And I want you to go out into the world and cover and fill the world with and subdue it. Exercise your authority. Exercise your creativity and tell the world in doing so about the love of God. That's the purpose. But see, this community, we're just a few chapters from that say, listen, we don't want to do that. Because the world is a dangerous place. And they have good reason to believe that because the flood just happened. Right? Here we are. They said, good night. The world's a dangerous place. And we appreciate God, that, those great words. But here's what we want to do instead. We want to make a, a, a name for ourselves. Instead of going there, we don't want to be scattered. Otherwise, here's the anxiety. Otherwise, if we don't do this, we're going to be scattered all over the face of the whole earth, even though that's what God has called us to do. Here's the point. 
to make a name for oneself. Okay, that's an idiom, but I don't need to unpack it, right? What does it mean to make a name for myself? I'm going to go to, you know, I'm going to go to New York and make a name for myself. I'm going to go to Hollywood and make a name for myself. I'm going to, you know, whatever the case may be, okay? I don't need to unpack that. To make a name for yourself then and now means this. It means to remake the meaning of your life. See, God had given them a name and God had given them a calling. Go and fill the world and subdue it. They didn't like what God had to say. And they said, I don't want to do that. I'll tell you what we want to do. We want to make a name for ourselves and we want to stay put right here in the good old suburb of Babylon, okay? That's what we want to do. Many of you know, because you're smart um, people, and you know American history, or maybe you're relearning this as we're all learning and studying about the black experience in America, right? You know that uh, in, in the, you know, the, 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 the 17th, 18th, 19th century when slaves came to America, that they were given slave names. You probably know that. In other words, they, they, they became, uh, they took on the names. In many cases, they changed their name and gave them the name of their slave owners. Now, why did they didn't need to do that? Even in, even in the evil of slavery, they didn't need to do it. Why did they do that? Well, it's, it's clear to us now, we know this. To create an identity and to control a destiny. It's part of the, 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 um, the, 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 the mindset or the, the, the understanding of, of what slavery was. I want to create an identity, you belong to me, and I want to control your destiny. Okay? That's why they changed their name. Well, in a manner of speaking, that's what's happening here. Right? Sort of a self-imposed slavery. They said, listen, we don't like what God had to say about us because names imply meaning. Names, names in this context imply purpose, right? Eve was the mother of all living people. It, it implied purpose. Go into the world and represent me. And they said, we don't want to do that. That strikes anxiety in our hearts. That strikes fear in our hearts. So we want to stay right here, Okay? In a manner of speaking, they wanted to create their identity. They wanted to control their destiny. But let me say this. What the Bible says, and I would say, even if you're not a Christian listening to me today, the human experience bears out, even if you're not a person of faith. This is what the Bible says. You are who God says you are. Okay? You are who God's, not who someone else says I am, or even who I say I am. This is really what's being challenged here. You are who God says you are. And you and I can try to either listen to what other people say and live in that contradiction or even take on some new sense of identity, but it's going to backfire. There's an article that was written um, just about a month or so ago by a cultural, famous, uh, well-known journalist, cultural uh, critic, David Brooks. And the title of the article is America's Having a Moral Convulsion. It's a long article. You can read it. And America's Having a a Moral Convulsion. And what he's talking about there is this sort of re-identification project that's been going on in our culture for some time. This is what he said. Listen carefully. People today live in what has been called liquid modernity. Or you might say identity. Liquid. This is fluid. All the traits that were once assigned to you by your community, you must now determine on your own, your identity, your morality, your gender, your vocation, your purpose, and the place of your belonging. Self-creation becomes a major anxiety-inducing act of adult, uh, excuse me, young 
adulthood, right? I want to make a name for myself. I'm going to do it my way. Okay, see how that works for you. Let me say this, guys. I, we, we plan these services and series in advance, okay? I, I, I could never have imagined on November, whatever today is, the 8th, the state that we would be living in. Nor could I have uh, imagined, um, you know, the political turmoil, even the resurging pandemic. And I know, because I'm one of us, that this is a cause for anxiety for us and for fear. But let me say this to many of us, to all of us, in our anxiety and our fear. The bandwagons of our culture and there are many of them, the bandwagons of our culture, um, they will not take you, they will not take me to a safer place. Okay? They will not take you to a safer place. Why is that? Because the world is a dark and dangerous place. It's kind of what Genesis 11 is telling us, the city of man. The world is a dark and dangerous place and this side of heaven There is no other world, okay? This is it. There is no other world. However, we have been commanded, this is the whole point of the Genesis uh, opening verse chapters. We have been commanded, nevertheless, because it's a dangerous world, to go out and love and serve this world. And God has promised for those who have the courage and the faith to go with us. Listen to these verses carefully. Isaiah 43. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. That's us in a manner of speaking. People of God. Do not fear. For I have redeemed you. Right? I have summoned you by name. You are who the Lord says you are. You are mine. When you pass through the waters and they will come, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will come, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Okay? The city of man runs on fear and anxiety. Second, it's organized against the purposes of God. Okay, this is a warning. What's so interesting about this passage? There's so much here, but here's what God does. They're building the city in this tower. He says, if, if, if they keep this up, paraphrase of verse uh, six, uh, this isn't gonna go so well, right? They're gonna self-destruct, okay? God's not jealous when he says, they're all, you know, they're, they're, nothing will be impossible for them to do. It's not a jealousy statement. It's like, oh gee, they're gonna build a better tower than I can build. He's saying, listen, if, if this goes unchecked, they're gonna destroy themselves just like they did in Genesis 6 when the intention, the thoughts of men's hearts and women's hearts were evil continually. The earth was so corrupt and violent it almost imploded. That's what he's trying to say. But what is what God does? It's so interesting. He doesn't destroy the project because he's committed not to do that kind of, you know, a scorched earth a, 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 a policy. Remember? Genesis 9, I'll never, ever, ever. Genesis 8, never, ever, ever do that again. So God says, listen, I'm not going to come down and destroy it. I'm just going to come down and frustrate its progress, right? So that's all he does. He throws in this language uh, thing, 
and they, don't, they all of a sudden they realize, you know, they can't understand each other. But here's what's so interesting about it. Here's the, here's the spiritual truth. God just frustrates their project, but in the consequence, humanity, if you want to say, in, in, represented in this passage, they, what they refuse to do by simple obedience, which is go out into the earth and fill it. Just, in other words, go out there. Face your fears with me and let's go do something in the world instead of making a little you know, ch- suburb in Babylon or suburb in Jerusalem or suburb in the church, you know what I mean? So to speak, or the encampment mentality of safety and self-security, self-salvation, say. Instead of doing that, which is what they wanted to do, because God comes in and frustrates their progress, they end up doing what God called them to do. This is, this is the whole point of the passage, by the way, end of verse nine. From there, after this Interruption, language, introduction of languages. From there, the Lord scattered, it's a very important word in this passage, them all over the face of the whole earth. We don't want to do it. We're afraid to be scattered. God says, okay, I understand that. But guess what? You're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Because what you've created, the city of man, you think it's going to make you happy. It's not. You think it's going to bring you fulfillment. It's not because you are who God said you are and you're only gonna understand who you are when you're doing what it is that I've called you to do, right? And he, what's the principle? God often intervenes even in the face of disobedience, right? To accomplish his purposes. And he does it, listen, again and again and again and again in the history of Israel, in the history of the church. Listen, in my life and in your life. Right? He does it all the time. And if you think about it, this idea, God's called you to do something. You say, no, it's too scary. I don't like it. It's, it's fearful. Uh, I don't want to do it. I'm going to do this instead. I'm going I, 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 to be the one exception. I'm going to create my own reality. I'm going to create my own you know, flourishing. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it this way. That is a story that happens. And, and the God comes in and says, well, I'm not gonna blow you up because I promise I'll never do that. I'm gonna come in and, and somehow frustrate the progress so that you'll redirect yourself. This is the story, I would say to you, friends, not only of Genesis 3 and Genesis 9 and Genesis 11 and Exodus 14 and, and, and on and on and on. It's the story of mankind. Let me give you the summary, okay? If you wanted to say, you know, the Old Testament, you know, in a, in a simple story, and I would not only say the Old Testament, I'd say the entire Bible from the standpoint of humanity's intransience and, and resistance of God. It's in one story, it's in the book of Jonah. Ready? And here's the beauty of this. Why does the Bible end more or less, the Old Testament, I should say, with the book of Jonah? Why? Why such a simple story? In fact, it's such a simple story that even if you're listening to me today and you, and you stumbled on this, pod, uh, uh, this, this, this uh, live stream and you're not even a churchgoer, you could tell me the story of Jonah. And if you're a kid in this room today or a kid down in Sea Hall, I could bring this five or seven or 12-year-old and they could tell me the story of Jonah. Why? Just because it's cute? Because it's simple? No, because it's God. This is how God does it. The whole story of humanity in one story, here's the story. God says, Jonah, humanity... I want you to go this way because there's a city of people that I love and they're about, they're on the verge of self-destruction, right? Read Jonah, the city of Nineveh, the biggest city of its day. It was the New York City of its day and I want you to go there and warn them and tell them about me 
And Jonah says, really? I despise those people. Ugh, I can't stand them. I wouldn't go there if you paid me. And I'm going to take the first boat that goes this direction. Now, God could say, drown that man. You know, he's, but God said he's not going to do that anymore. Genesis 9. Genesis 8. So God says, what are we going to do? Same story as this one. Let's go, let's go through a storm in there that's so bad that that boat's barely holding it together. They toss Jonah overboard, right? Then God sends a fish. This story couldn't get any crazier, okay? It's making a point, though. And Jonah swallows this, this fish swallows Jonah. Three days later, it spits him up on the beach. And then the Lord comes back. This is God in your life. And he says, what you, Jonah, what will you think now? He goes, all right, I'll do it, <laughs> okay? Now, but here's the funny thing. He goes to do it. And Jonah gives a half-hearted message because his heart's not really in it. That's you and that's me. That's what you're supposed to see. That's Israel. That's the church. He gives a half-hearted message. Oh, the judgment's coming. Yeah. And guess what happens? In this half-hearted message of the, of the um, jaded, cynical, um, thankless Jonah, from the king to the dog catcher, this huge city repents in, 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 in sackcloth and ashes. The whole city repents. I mean, if you're a prophet, you just, it's the Super Bowl. Guess what happens in Genesis, the last chapter? You all know this story. I could t- you could tell it to me. God says, what do you think, Jonah? And he goes, I knew you were gonna do that. I, I knew, this is a paraf- close paraphrase, Genesis, uh, uh, Jonah 4. I knew that you were just so good and loving, compassionate. You were gonna forget, you were gonna forgive these stinking, rotten people and that's why I didn't wanna go in the first place. Let me tell you something, friends. That's how the book ends. The book of Jonah. Why is it there? Because God's saying, that's your story. That's my story. And guess what? One more verse, New Testament. Acts chapter eight. It's also the story of the New Testament church. Listen carefully. The book of Acts is the history of the church. It's a history. It's Bible. It's scripture. But it's telling you the history of the early church. And it grows over the period of 30 or 40 years. And uh, it's got churches all over Europe. Okay. In, in the Middle East. Here we go. On that day. This is just one day. Snapshot. Acts 8. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And in that day there was only one church, by the way. Very, very big one. Tens of thousands of people, maybe 10,000, lots of people, if you do the math. At that point, there's only one. Against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. There's a great irony here, too. Some of you know this, some of you don't. In the opening chapter of Acts, when Jesus, the risen Jesus is starting the church, he says, listen, he says the same thing he said in Genesis 1, same thing he said in Genesis 9, same thing he said in Genesis 11. Get out there! I've created you to go cover the world. And Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, um, they said, Lord, now what do we do? You're risen from the dead. Oh my goodness, a risen Jesus, hand, you know, nail prints in his hands, and wow, this is unbelievable. You're the Messiah. What do you want us to do? This is what I want you to do. The Holy Spirit's coming because you've got to have the Holy Spirit. Okay, Acts 2, all the languages. It's sort of the, the, the flip side, you know, the, the, the counterpoint to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, all these people coming together, maintaining their cultures, but having the unity of the Holy Spirit. It says, when the Spirit comes, this is what I want you to do then. I know you love Jerusalem. I know this great mega church is wonderful, but I, I want you to go out to Judea suburbs, Samaria, the very, very distant suburbs, and then in the othermost part of it, I want you to scatter. Same thing I told you in the beginning. 
See, nothing's really changed. Abraham will be the father of many nations. I want you to scatter. They said, amen. And for 10 years or whatever it is between Acts chapter two and Acts chapter eight, guess what? They stayed where they were. Because Jerusalem was a beautiful church. They had lots of resources and it was fun and great and the apostles were there and God says, okay, kind of up there in heaven, I guess, like he was here, let us go down. Who's God talking to? The whole heavenly host. Let us, he goes, now what are we gonna do? Well, let us go down in a manner of speaking, just like he tore down the temple in, in, uh, in, 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 in Solomon's day <laughs> and he tore down the temple in, in Jesus' day, right? <laughs> the story's being told over and over again. He goes, we gotta break up this party in Jerusalem. So he sends persecution. And in one day, on one Sunday, it was the, a bonanza church. I'd love to have been the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Man, uh, my picture would been the paper, it been awesome, right? <laughs> on this day, all of those people are gone. All except the apostles scattered, Genesis 11, throughout Judea and Samaria. Often God will intervene even in the midst of your disobedience and my disobedience to accomplish his purposes. But it's a heck of a lot easier if you, and a lot more joy if you decide to face your fears, join arms with God, and go do it on your own. (laughs) God doesn't need to intervene if you and I are wise. The city of man is runs on fear and anxiety. Nothing new in the world. It's organized against the purposes of God. Lastly, it's incapable of meeting your deepest needs. Okay? It's incapable of meeting your deepest needs. Did you did I vote? You better believe I voted. As long as I live in a country where you can do it, you can do it. But don't think for a minute that politics is the answer. The church is the hope of the world, okay? And neither is, you know, career success or making money, okay? That's the value system of the world and it's not gonna get you what you want. And let me say this. This is not a comforting story. I'm talking about Genesis 11. Let me tell you what doesn't happen here, but sometimes we need to take a moment before we get to Genesis 12. That's what's happening here. Let me tell you what isn't here. There's no clothes for the naked sinner. That's what happened in Genesis 3, see? God, they messed it up and God says, I'm gonna help you out. There's no clothes for the naked sinner. There's no protective mark on the murdering fugitive, Genesis chapter four, right? Even though Cain murdered his brother, God says, I'm so, no one's gonna touch you, you're mine, okay? Can't mark a Cain. There's also no rainbow here either, okay? No rainbow, But there is, I think, still a a lesson for the contemporary reader, for you and me. Here it is. The best hopes of this world are not big enough to satisfy the true longing that God has put in your heart that you will ultimately only experience when you get out there, even if it's across the street, to do what God has called you to do. As long as you and I give in to our fears and anxieties, however pretty they look, however sophisticated they look, whatever kind of excuses or ideology we want to wrap ourselves in, as long as we stay in our little bubble, you will never know the joy of the Lord that is your strength. That's the warning 
That's the message. Listen to this quote. We're almost done. It's from a writer, Leon Cass. So much said here. Listen carefully and we're done. Warmed, he's talking about Genesis 11, but he's he's talking about it in our day. Warmed by the comforts of civilization and charmed by the familiar opinions projected by poets and politicians, the citizens are blind to the world beyond the city. Mistaking their crafted world, we'll make a name for ourselves, we'll build a tower, we'll build our own value system. Mistaking their crafted world for the whole, they live ignorant of their true standing in the world and their absolute dependence on powers not of their own making and beyond their own control. You are who God says you are, right? Not who someone else says you are, who you say you are. The city, and I would add the country, and the church, including this one, the city that does not look beyond itself cannot be a home for what is best in the human soul, right? God doesn't come down and frustrate your project because he doesn't love you. It's the very opposite. It's because he doesn't want you to waste your life on doing things that are really, they might look good on the outside, but they really are a, a, a charade, they are a gloss for masking your own fears and anxieties to do what it is that God has called you to do and to do it with his power. I am the Lord your God. I have redeemed you. I have given you a name. And the waters will not overcome you and the fire will not singe you because I am with you. This is where life is to be lived. Let me say this, guys, and we're out of time. I really believe this. I've been thinking a lot about, um, just like you. I'd love to say, I wish I could be up here this morning and go, wow, the coronavirus is over and the the election's over and whoo, what a year and let's get back to barbecue, whatever. Okay, I mean, whatever it is. But you know what? Right now in this moment, I have no idea where this is going. I had a, 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 there's friends, uh, I have friends across the country, pastor friends, locally and around the country, but also locally are saying, Rob, um, with the resurgence, maybe we're going to have to go back and close our doors. What are you doing? (laughs) I don't know where this is going, but this is what I believe, right? The the, the troubles of the world are a boon economy for for the people who have eyes to see it. I don't know if we're going to continue to worship this way indefinitely. I don't know the answer to that. But here's what I do believe. I'm, I'm coming to believe this now. That this experience of intransience or fear and anxiety of digging in your heels, of not doing what God wants you to do and God has to come in and sort of monkey wrench things, I'm not so sure we're not in the middle of that ourselves right now. That even this crazy pandemic just like the flood, just like the stopped project, just like the wilderness wanderings, just like the cart off to Babylon, just like the persecution in Acts 8, isn't a moment where God's saying it's time. He's up there in heaven going, guys, what are we gonna do? The world is coming apart at the seams. People are at each other's throats like they were in Nineveh. It's about to implode. Where's the church? Well, they're here and there and there. What are they doing? They're barbecuing. (laughs) I mean, they're having a good time. I love them. But they're kind of staying put. Okay, 
well, we got to come up with a plan, right? Not to hurt them. We love them. But to get them out into the world. I'm not so sure that isn't what's happening. And for some of us, God may not be sending us to Nevada. Listen, he might be sending you across the street. Okay? Last quote to get something to think about as you walk out the door. Let our scattering be an amazing triumph for the gospel. Right? Let our, say it again. Amen. Amen. Right? Let our scattering be. I don't mean just Browncroft and, and not coming to church or not coming to church as much, wherever we are, but even in your own lives, time on your hands, you know, talking to your, your family members maybe because you, they're, they're not going anywhere or your neighbor. Uh, oh, let our scattering be, whatever that scattering looks like, be an amazing triumph for the gospel. Let me just go back to the book of Acts. If you were an elder in Acts 8, you would have thought this whole thing has been a total failure, right? All except the apostles were there. This huge church, whatever it looked like, was empty and it would never be refilled again, okay? But if you go from Acts 8 to Acts 28, maybe another 20 years, not a long time, the whole book of Acts about 30, 40 years, guess what? Instead of one big church in Jerusalem, there were churches all over the um, Middle East, all over Turkey, Rome, Spain. There were hundreds of churches, okay? Hundreds of churches. By the end of the fourth century, there were, the Christian church was in the tens of millions, okay? <laughs> right? Because people started to do what God wanted. Amen? Amen? Let's pray, let's pray. God be with us, we pray this morning. Thank you for every heart and mind in this room and we just ask for your blessing. Lord, help us to see that you are with us in this world. Lord, we have the power of God, the spirit of God. Um, um, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Be with us as we go forward, we pray. We love you and we need you. And we pray for the city. We pray for Rochester. We pray for this community. Help us to be your um, messengers of hope in Jesus' name. Amen.